Good morning. Uh, let me ask you a question this morning. This is not hard. How many of you are dog people? You like dogs? You have dogs? Okay. Large number? Okay. Uh, you know, uh, dog people are a special breed. Uh, there's a lot of you here, obviously. Um, you know, um, most dog people will say that a real dog people will say that, you know, big dogs are better than small dogs. I have a small dog, you know. Uh, and, and, and all dog people will say that dogs are better than cats. You know, they're, they're just, just the way it is, you know, right? Um, so, you know, some of you cat lovers here, you hate me now. Anyway, uh, I was watching, I was watching, and I think one of the reasons there's so many dog lovers is because they know how to market it really well. I was watching TV uh, a few days ago, and it was one of those commercials. You've seen those before on cable channels. Uh, the, the commercial's about abandoned dogs, and uh, they have this commercial, and man, they just appeal to your, to your um, emotions, you know, and they, and they show this they say things like, well, there's 8 to 10 million uh, dogs that are abandoned every year, and half of them die. And, and uh, they show you this photo of a dog with this look in their eye. You know, I mean, the dog's looking at you with these big eyes, and it looks sad, like, you know, and the dog's going like, save my life, you know, and that's kind of what it looks like if the dog can speak to you. And then they give the dog a name, so now you're emotionally attached to the dog. They know how to do this kind of thing. And, uh, and, and, they, and, and they, say, you know, they say something about the dog, well, this is Sasha, and Sasha... Uh, she loves children, and she loves Frisbees, and she loves Jesus. And, uh, and <laughs> they'll say dumb things like that, you know. I don't think they said that, but, you know, I just made that up. But uh, they'll say th- and, but, but, and then they'll say stuff like, well, you know, Sasha, it, it, you know, since uh, she's here, and we can only keep so many dogs, if, if nobody adopts her by Tuesday, we're going to have to kill her. And, uh, you know, and so they're going like, no, not Sasha, you know, and they'll, everybody gets all emotional about that, and that's why some, some of you have dogs because you watch those commercials. And then you'll tell you stories about dogs who've been rescued, actually rescued. And, and, and it'll say, well, here, oh, look at this dog. This dog is now, gets to fetch now. And this dog has a forever family, unlike the family that dropped them off in the park and left them. You know, and, and, and you could be their forever family if you'll just adopt you know, this dog. And, and so you do. And, 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 or this dog was malnourished. It was left in the woods. But this family rescued the dog. And and, and there's this Christmas photo with the, with the happy family, with the dog as part of it, and the dog's so happy, it's like in dog heaven. And um, don't you love a good rescue story? That's why we get attached to those type of things. This is probably the worst transitional story that I've ever told in regards to trying to get into Scripture today, but I thought it's the only thing I could think of. And um, for those of you, you know, who are dog people, you're all with me. Uh, you know, I'm trying to lead people to Jesus, and if I get all the dog people led to Jesus, there'll be a revival. And so... Uh, that's kind of the deal here. So uh, just this morning as we, as we uh, look at Scripture in a few moments, uh, we love rescue stories. We do. Uh, that's why when firefighters go into a building, they come out with children. What do we do? We cheer. Uh, when uh, something bad happens and the police show up, what do you do? Everybody cheers. It's, it's like some of the reasons we watch some, certain television shows or certain movies because there's somebody who's uh, going through some terrible fate and, and what's happening in their life and, and they can't rescue themselves. And, and Bruce Willis shows up and he, he rescues them or, you know, or somebody like that. You know, so we have these stories and so often we learn, love rescue stories. I tell you that, all these things, because of this. Um, the heart of God is that we're made in the image and likeness of God and God is one who rescues us. The story of the Bible, the story of Jesus is the greatest rescue story ever that's ever been told. Um, the reality is in life, and so often we don't know this, is that we're in kind of a position where we may not be aware of it, but there's a sentence of death hanging over us. 
that if we don't, if we can't save ourselves, we need somebody from outside to come in and do what we can't do for ourselves to bring us into the, to our forever family. And so that's the story of the Bible. That's the story of Jesus. And that's what we're talking about today as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So if you have a Bible with you today, I would encourage you to turn to that. We started with Ephesians a couple of weeks ago. Chapter 1, we covered the last couple of weeks. Today we're looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And we're looking at our identity in Christ and the fact that in Christ that we can be rescued. Now, when we look at this whole issue of salvation and being rescued, uh, we see that there's two basic categories when viewing salvation. And salvation, uh, again, means that you're in a, a terrible fate. You cannot save yourself. And you, need someone to be, you need to be saved by someone from outside. And so there's two categories that people talk about in, in regard to this in the world. One category, uh, we call it works. Uh, Paul calls it that. And, and the other category we call grace. And Paul's going to juxtaposition those two the two categories and talk about them. Um, and most, if, if not all religious systems, uh, apart from Christianity, they teach something called works as a way to salvation. And that is this, that you can save yourself by doing certain things and not doing other things, but you can be your own savior. Let me give you some examples for that from some world religions. In Buddhism, for instance, uh, how you're saved is you cease to, uh, ceasing desires saves you in Buddhism. Uh, that's, that's from them. In Confucianism, education, self-reflection, self-cultivation, and living a moral life saves you. In Hinduism, detaching from your separated ego and making an effort to live in unity with the divine saves you. If you don't understand what that means, that's all right, okay? Uh, I, I, it's really tough to understand. In Islam, living a holy life of good deeds saves you. In Orthodox uh, Judaism, repentance, prayer, and working hard to obey the law saves you. In New Ageism, gaining a new perspective through which you now see yourself connected to all things as a divine oneness saves you. Uh, in many people's minds, um, simply being a good person saves you. That's what many people think. And, and even uh, at funerals, um, many people seem to think that merely dying saves you because they'll say things like this, you know, oh, they died, and now, so now they went to a better place as if just simply the act of dying uh, saves you. The reality is, is that all of these are categories called works. And it's don't do this, don't do that, so that one day you'll be safe from whatever fate is set before you. The second option, though, is, is the second option is grace. And that option is, is Christianity. And that is why, that, that says that we are not saved by our works, but what we are saved by is the works of Jesus Christ. The storyline of the Bible is that we are in a terrible fate. Uh, and there is a sentence of death hanging over us. And, and we cannot rescue ourselves. And Jesus, our great God and Savior, he comes in from the outside. He comes in to rescue us. And he comes to save us. And we are saved by his works, not our works. He lives without sin. So it's Jesus' life that saves us, not our own. He dies on a cross in our place for our sins. So it's his death that saves us, not our own. Uh, he rises from death, conquering the enemy of sin and death. So it is his victory over these things, not ours, that is the means by which we experience salvation and are rescued. And in fact, the very name Jesus means God is our Savior or God is our salvation. That's exactly what Jesus means, indicates his life mission. Now, I want to I submit to you this, though. You're not saved just by having faith in someone or something. That object needs to actually be a Savior who can save you. Uh, Jesus alone is worthy of our faith. Jesus alone is our Savior. And if anyone is trusting in anyone or anything 
other than that, or in addition to that, they're trusting in the wrong thing and they will not experience salvation. So in the middle of the verses today that we'll be looking at in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, in the middle, twice, uh, Paul writes the, these words. In verse 5, he says, by grace you have been saved. And then in verse 8, he says it again, by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, faith is trusting in Jesus' work, not our own. So what he's saying is this, we're not saved by what we do or who we are, we're saved by who he is and, who, and what he does, and that's grace. That means unmerited favor, undeserved love, that means that God pours out his affection on us, not because we deserve it, but because he chooses to do so, even when we were his enemies in the past. Now, today we're going to talk about three things, and I'm going to sit down for a few minutes. I, um, <clears throat> my ankle, my uh, heels hurt killing me this morning from working out too hard. Bob, I'm not going to give you a hard time about it, but anyway, it's my un unofficial, wherever Bob is, there, where are you, Bob? There you are, back there. Bob's my uh, uh, kind of unofficial personal trainer. He, uh, he just kills me some days, you know, so, but I enjoy it. I keep going back, and so we worked out real hard yesterday, and uh, I think I pulled something. Anyway, <clears throat> call my Achilles tendon or something like that. Okay, um, if you have a Bible, so let's look at chapter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And Paul, and it's interesting here because Paul anticipates, as a good pastor would, that people will have some questions. And perhaps these questions are the same questions that you have. And so let me, look, let me answer the questions that we all have. There's three questions we're going to talk about today uh, from Paul's instruction. Uh, the first question is this. We're saved from what? What are we saved? Saved from what? You know, he says this. I mean, somebody will say to you, do you, you need to be saved. And you're going like, saved from what? I mean, most of us don't even know we have a problem. Saved from what? Rescued from what? If you don't have a sense uh, you're in danger, you don't have any real urgency for a Savior. Drowning people call for a lifeguard. If your house is on fire, who do you call? Last service, somebody said Chip. You know, he was sitting here. But uh, he's our fire... <laughs> It was. It was funny. I didn't think about that, but Chip is the, is the fire chief for Germantown Hills. He was sitting right there, and somebody said, you've called Chip. Well, you can call somebody else besides Chip, too, okay? But the reality is, if, if your house is on fire, you scream for the fire department. If an intruder shows up, you call whom? The police. Uh, you don't, but if you don't know there's a problem, you don't know you need to be rescued. And so the first issue that Paul talks about, the first thing he, he says we need to understand, is there's some things we need to be saved from. We need to be saved from. Saved from what? And so in verses uh, 1 through 3, he answers the, gives us the answer. And let me read this and then comment on it some. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest... We were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, Paul says here that there are things that those who are in Christ are saved from several things he mentions here. Let me talk about what they, number one he says, he says, uh, he says you were dead. He says you were dead. Now death, all of us are going to die, right? Physically. That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about spiritual death. He said death is, is the result of sin. And where there is no sin, there is no death. That's why the, in the kingdom of God, which is going to be where in heaven, uh, fully established in heaven, we'll be saved from the presence of sin, and so there will be no more death in our lives. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. Let's say that you, uh, how many of you have a cell phone? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm answering, I mean, you must be the same people that have dogs. Okay, almost everybody's the same people. You know, uh, cell phones, I figured everybody has a cell phone. Cell phone, you know, probably, I would say that probably either yesterday or today, you plugged in your cell phone, right? Or maybe the day before. Okay, if you're not, you're in trouble. Okay, but your cell phone, you plug it in. And why do you plug in your cell phone? You plug in your cell phone because it powers it up. It, 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 if you left it unplugged, what would happen to the cell phone? This is not real hard, okay? This is not real hard. Uh, it, it, it will only stay on for a while, right? Because it's a part, it's, it, it'll die, literally. That's what we call it. Oh, my cell phone's dead. You know, is it really dead? No, it's just unplugged from the power source. Uh, you and I are like that. We're not independent. We're dependent beings. We're made in the li- uh, in, by the living God, and when we sin against him, it's as if we were unplugging ourselves from the source of life. Um, the result is that we were still alive physically, but we're in a cycle of death where we're going to eventually die because we're disconnected from the source of life. That's how the Bible explains our condition. And so you can be living physically yet dead spiritually. And in the process of dying physically, if we stand before a living God eventually and we're separating from God, we haven't plugged into the power source, the Bible says our condition is death, eternal separation from God. That's the first problem we have. That's the first thing we need to be saved from is this death that he talks about here. The second thing, number two, he says, we are, uh, he says this, we are saved from the trespasses and sins <clears throat> in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Now, when we talk about, we use this term sometimes in church, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the way things are supposed to be when God totally rules everything. That's kind of a very basic definition of the kingdom of God. When God rules everything. But the world, he saw, talks about here, he says, you once were walked, uh, following the course of this world, uh, the world is the way that's in rebellion against the way that God says it's supposed to be. The Bible says the world in its wisdom does not know God. It does not know God. And so, think of culture as this. Think of culture and the world system that's opposed to God as this. It's like a torrential river. And it's strong with a deep undertow, this river. It's not like the Illinois River. It just flow, you know. it's, it's, it's more like the Colorado River uh, or the New River where I used to, uh, in, in uh, places near West Virginia where are the, uh, some of those rivers there where it's just rushing in a torrent and you go whitewater rafting on. Okay, think of that kind of a river. He said it's, uh, culture is like that. Anything that gets in that kind of a river gets carried downstream. You can't help it. You can't just go and stay in one place if you go to one of those torrential rivers. You don't do that. By worldliness, that's what it means. This is how everybody thinks. This is how they act. And so what it is is it's, it seems normal because everybody's kind of going with the flow of things. But morality is not determined by a majority. In fact, the entire torrent of this river of culture is heading toward destruction, the Bible says, and devastation. And what he's saying is that we're all born in that river, and we're all headed downstream, and for those who come to know God, their life will be marked by something different, a difficult swim against a strong, heavy current. I mean, have you ever felt that way in regard to to living the Christian life? It's easier to commit, as you look around the world, is it easier to commit adultery than to celebrate your 50th anniversary of fidelity? How many, how many stories do you hear of 50th anniversaries versus people being, having, committing adultery? There's, there's no comparison, right? It just seems easy to go with the flow of culture, of doing that. 
Uh, it's easier to give up on your kids than to persevere with your kids. It's easier to spend all of your money on yourself than it is to be generous toward God and others. It's easier to do these things that culture would drag us along into because that's what he's talking about here. We need to be saved from our trespasses and our sins in which you once walked, he said, following the course of this world. See, God is our Father, and he makes rules. And the rules he makes are to protect his kids. I don't know about you as, as parents, if, uh, most of you here, probably the majority of you here are parents. Some of you are not, I know, but uh, some of you are. And the reality is this, when you make rules, you make the rules to protect your kids if you're a good parent. God is the, per- God is the perfect father. He generally uh, makes these rules to protect us. And when we trespass against those rules and we climb over the fence of his protective law and we jump into the river of culture, what happens is, and we're strep- uh, swept downstream, he knows that's not good for us. He knows that. And your father loves you and he's trying to protect you from that. And that's what it means when he's, that's one of the things he wants to save you from. Save you from is this thing where we kind of follow along with the culture which drags us in the direction away from God and God's kingdom. Then he goes on to talk about in those, those verses, he talks about something we don't talk about too much. He talks about Satan and demons. Uh, he says, number three, he says, we are saved from following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Let me just say this about this. I don't have to speak a lot about this. But we live in a world, he's saying, that is not spiritually neutral. We kind of think we just kind of go into the world that everything is kind of like it's either neutral or it's godly. No, no. There are forces, he says, Satan and demons. uh, He he calls it here uh, the uh, prince of the power of the air. Uh, He's talking about here, and the Bible talks about it clearly, that, that there are Satan and demons that they are at war with, against God's plans in our life, and they're constantly trying to drag us in a direction that we don't want to be dragged in. But when we become a believer in Christ, and when we, we accept Christ, what happens is we can be saved from that. They have no power over us unless we allow them to. And so that's another thing he says we need to be saved from. Number four, he goes on to say, he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And what this means is before we met Christ in a saving way, our mind uh, does not think the thoughts of God. We start to think independent of God, and we're rebellious against God, and our desires are not God's desires. And they're not desires that come from the Holy Spirit. They're desires that come from our old nature or the temptation of the world around us. But the Bible tells us clearly that when you become a Christian, when you become a Christian, immediately you get a new nature. Now, it may not manifest itself immediately. It's a process of allowing God's new nature to come into you, the Holy Spirit to come into you, and begin to work in your life. But that new nature, the Bible says, causes you to have a new mind. It says it in Romans 12. It says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You get a new mind, you start to think differently. And one of the things that Paul's saying here that we need to be saved from is this process where we always thought our thoughts were about us. Because the non-Christian's deepest desire is for self. But the Christian's deepest desires is for Jesus and holiness, our deepest desires. In Psalm 37, 4, it says this. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you what? The desires of your heart. The desires of your heart. Now, what that doesn't mean is if you love Jesus, you tell him what you want, and he'll give it to you. That's not what it means. Because We sometimes think he's like a concierge who... Uh, who, who is just waiting for a request. You know, you ever been to a really fancy hotel and they have concierges? I haven't been to too many of those, but I've been to a couple. You know, and, and if you want something, concierges will just give you anything. They're amazing people. 
They know everything about everything. I don't know what they do, you know, how they learn. They must go to concierge school or something. I don't know. But they'll know everything about everything in that region. If you want to know any question about anything, they, but we think, sometimes think that that's what that verse means, delight yourself in the Lord. And he's like your concierge. He'll give you whatever you want. Well, that's not what it's talking about here. What it means is this. As you're delighting yourself in the Lord, loving the Lord, enjoying the Lord, you get to know the Lord. And the Lord gives you his desires so that now what you want to do is what Jesus wants you to do, and there's not a conflict between your desires, there's a concert between your desires. Now that's a process. It's a process, and none of us do it perfectly. I don't do it perfectly, folks. I just have to tell you that sometimes. Um, But when I do feed and nurture the deepest desires that I know God wants me to do, God is glorified and I'm satisfied. It brings me great, nothing brings me greater joy in my life now than when I can live life with a clear conscience because I know that when the things I'm doing is things that are God's deepest desires as well. Because as you grow in Christ, one of the things Paul says to you, we need to be saved from is this desire to follow, to, to let our lower nature, our old nature, lead the way. It's far more about what we get to do than what we don't get to do when we follow Christ. And then the last thing that Paul says here in verse 3, he says this, and this is something kind of weird because we, we kind of look at this and we're going like, wow, I don't like that attribute of God. Because it says this, he says, and we were by nature, what? Children of wrath. Whoa. You know, I mean, uh, like the re- this is like the rest of mankind. He says, by nature. It means that, what that means is that you were born apart from God with a sin nature. Now, let me just use this as an illustration. <clears throat> Don't take this the wrong way when I say this, but you'll understand. How many of you are parents and you've noticed this? You give birth to a child, and all of a sudden you realize you're, you're housing a small terrorist. <laughs> you know, uh, they declare war as soon as they come out. They, um, they throw things. They, uh, they, um, they would hurt you if they were larger. The only thing they don't have is size. Those of you, uh, some of you will go like, no, 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 babies are all so precious. The reason you say that is because you don't have one. <laughs> okay? I mean, I love kids. You know, I do. But, man, sometimes, because sometimes we'll, parents, parents, I, I cannot tell you how many times we probably all said this. Some of you looked at your kids and go like, I can't believe they did that. You know, I bet you every, I did a survey probably almost every parent here said that sometime along. I can't believe they did that. Of course they did. That's their nature. See, the thing is, the Bible says we are, have this old nature in us, and what we need, what we need, to be, what we need to be saved from is we need this new nature in us. And then it says that we had this new, the nature that we were children of wrath. And, and, it's, and so it's saying that God has wrath. And what's wrath? It's like, it doesn't sound good, does it? You know, if, if, I, if, if I said, I have wrath towards you, would you come visit me today? Probably not. No, it's not a good word. It's, it's not a word. It's just meaning like, you know, there's something that, 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 that I want to do for you. But, okay, but it says God has wrath. Now, immediately, some of you will do this and go like, whoa, 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 I don't like that attribute of God. I like this verse, God is love. God is love, you know? God's all warm and cuddly. He's love, and that's how you define love. But let me fix that for you. Be careful not to take one attribute of God and make it into God. 
Because the Bible talks about multiple attributes of God. Um, see, if, if God is only sovereign, that we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, then everything, if that's the only attribute of God, then everything that happens is his will, and that means that he is the author of sin. And that goes against what Scripture says. And if God is only forgiving, that means that everybody's forgiven and nobody's going to hell. See, all of, this is the, the, the reality. All of the attributes of God work in concert equally, simultaneously, and continually together. Now, how that it works out in reality, I don't know. It's called the mystery of God. But, but it's, it's what the Bible teaches. So you see, when the Bible speaks of God, it does say that, that he is love. But the, you know what the most mentioned attribute of God is referenced in Scripture? He is holy. Jesus speaks of hell and heaven more than anyone else in the whole Bible. Did you know that? More than anybody. Jesus. And when it comes to the wrath of God, it's spoken of about 600 times in Scripture. So it's definitely one of God's attributes. And I believe the reason the Bible's talking about here, talking about this, and while Paul talks about this, and the Bible talks about this, the wrath of God is to create in us a sense of urgency that we're under a death sentence, that the clock is ticking, that after this life there is no second chance, that, the, that we better get this thing straightened out with Jesus now while it's still time. That it wants to, he wants us to have a sense of urgency. Some of you might even say, well, you know, I've heard people say to me before, Pastor, you know, uh, you know I'm not a, that's why I never tell, tell, tell people, they say, what do you do for a living? I always hesitate telling them. Because when I tell them I'm a pastor, my, the conversation totally changes. Every time. Every time. So most of the time I don't tell them unless they ask me. And they have to ask me like three times where I tell them what I do. And, and, and so the thing is, is that, but I've had people tell me, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. I'm not a killer. I'm a good person. I just live my life independent of Jesus. Might I submit to you that's the worst sin of all, according to Scripture? to live independent of Jesus? See, the rest is all details, but that, is really, that really is the fault line issue in everything we do. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like a dad who walks out on his wife and his kids, and he says, hey, uh, I don't jaywalk, and I'm a good person. I pay my taxes. Yeah, but you lived your life, your whole life, apart from those who love you. That's the problem. Your life is disconnected, and so it is for those who turn their back on God and live a life separated from him. It's not just the details, it's the whole direction that's the problem. And some of you will say, you know, <clears throat> you know, um, it seems like you're trying to scare me. I am. Because this is important, folks. There is nothing more important in your life then make a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Nothing's more important in your life. And I want you to be concerned about that, and I want you to know that you're, what you're saved from. And that's why Paul says this here. That's what he says. If you don't know what you're saved from, you really don't appreciate the Savior. And immediately, some people also have this repulsion about hell, and I've had conversations even recently with people, and they say, I don't like hell. You know, <laughs> let me tell you something. Uh, you shouldn't. You shouldn't like it. You know, I don't like it either. 
Uh, And they'll say things like, well, that's not a place I want to go. And God says, my point exactly. See, God tells us about the consequences of his wrath so that we will have a sense of of urgency and know that we're in dire need of a Savior and invite Jesus to come and rescue. That's why Paul says this here in verses 1 through 3. He paints a picture of where where we're coming from and why we need this Savior. The second thing that Paul talks about, and this is really brief, just, just a really brief point, we're saved by what? What are we saved by? Um, see, when you know that you're saved from these things, and the next question is this, saved by what? How does it work? So in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, he says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. And then he says this, and he says it twice in Scripture here, It is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved. See, what he's saying, and Paul's saying here, is apart from Jesus, you're spiritually dead. But God makes us alive in Christ. God puts life into us. That's what God does. And then we respond with faith. But the faith is evidence of our salvation. It's like once a baby is born, what do they do? They cry. The crying does not bring them to life. The crying reveals that life is uh, revealed the life they already enjoy. Those who cry out in faith to God, it's evidence that God is already working in their life. They've been born again by the Spirit of God. God is the initiator uh, of our salvation. See, if you came to Christ, uh, if, if you're a Christian, God has made you alive in Christ, just like He came along to Lazarus in the tomb. And when He was in the tomb, and He called out His name, He said, "Lazarus, come forth." And he came forth. That's the power of the words of Jesus. But Jesus has come to you and he's said your name and he's brought you uh, from death to life because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Then he says we were made, he made us alive with Christ. That's once again what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. That's our identity with Christ, in Christ. So if someone were to ask you, what does it mean to be a Christian, what would you say? Well, the simple answer is this. I'm with Jesus and Jesus is with me and we're together. That's what it means. And it only happened by grace, God's undeserved, unmerited favor. It's not anything I did. What's the greatest gift you've ever received? Well, here it is, God's grace. God's grace. That's what he talks about here. Then Paul answers the final question. He says, not only were you saved from these things, you're saved by this. And he says, what are we saved for? See, we've talked about all these things. You, you, you walk away uh, from this and ask yourself the question, I'm saved, but I've got a lot of years left on earth. What do I do with them? Your life counts. Your life matters. And so this is what Paul says about the purpose of from here to eternity once you're saved. He says in verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, looking forward to the future, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable, incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And then he repeats himself again in a sense, but he, sa- but he adds something. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves. This is not from yourselves. This is not from yourselves, okay? That's the problem. We try to make it from ourselves all the time. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. And then he adds, wraps it all up, this, 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 uh, sto- this passage. He says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, the key is to get the works in the right order. So often we want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We want to do that. What we do is we say, well, you know, works has nothing. No, no, works has to come in the right order, okay? 
The thing is, is this. Jesus' works save us. He works in us as his workmanship, and then he works through us to bless the world and as an act of worship. So our works are the result of his works, unlike religion that teaches other religious groups that teaches us that here are your works and they will save you. No, Jesus saves you. You're saved by his works. He works in you. He works on you. He works through you to do good works as an act of worship. I know that's a lot of works, but it, it's important to understand. So let me finish up and conclude today by saying this. Let's, let's talk about works for a minute because they are important, but they're not that which saves you, which Paul says clearly. It's grace that saves you. It's works that are important as well, though. He said you were made for good works. That's what you're saved to, uh, t- saved to do. Number one, let me say this about good works. Number one, there's no such thing for the Christian. There's no such thing as sacred and secular work for Christians. No such thing. I've heard too many people say, well, I work, oh, I have a secular job. Some of you may have said that. If you're a believer in Christ, everything you do is sacred. Everything you do is sacred. You know, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, he said this, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God, not just, you know what that covers? Everything. Everything. That's a good work then, whatever you do. He said, so let me submit this to you. God isn't calling everybody to be a church leader, but he's calling everybody to good works. For some of you, that's, that's being an accountant. That might be being a teacher or an engineer or a mother or a father or a landscaper or a banker or an investment banker or, 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 or whatever, a real estate agent, whatever you want to be. And there is not a, there is not a junior varsity and a varsity in service. There's not a higher calling and a, and a lesser calling in service. It's good works and all the things that Jesus has laid out for us to do and whatever he says you're to do, you're to do it for him to his glory. Just because I'm in paid ministry does not mean that what I'm doing is good works and what a barista or a teacher is doing is something other than equally good works. I want to free you, some of you, up to become leaders, yes, in in God's kingdom, in God's work here in the community and around the world. God wants you to do that because that's the way he made you, that's the way he shaped you for ministry. But I want you to free you up that if that's not what God has called you to do, that whatever it is he has called you to do, he's appointed you to do, that you will do. For his glory. There is no difference between, for the Christian between sacred and secular. You cannot separate those things. Number two, some of you don't need new works. What you do, you've got too much to do already, but you need to infuse your current works with grace. And what I mean by this, so often people will say, well, you know, I've become a Christian, now God wants me to, you know, I just want to serve God, and so what I need to do is get rid of this job, this dead-end job that I have. I don't like it anyway, you know, and, you know, I don't like the people I work with. I don't know, you know, 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 just grumble, 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 grumble. And what you need to do is you might not need to quit your job and find yourself. You may need to bring Jesus to the work with you and ask, how can I infuse the grace of God with the job I already have to love the boss who's driving me crazy, to sit in the cubicle that drives me nuts next to the person who's driving me insane. The Bible says, this all too shall, this all too shall pass, you know, someday. Some of those things. How can, the question we need to ask is this. How can I love and serve here now without a funky attitude, but love God and love people where I am? Some of us just need to do that because so often we'll think, you know, well, yeah, it, it's hard, so it must not be God's will. 
Think about the God we serve. We worship a guy who got murdered. It might be really hard, but how do you infuse it with the grace of God? That's what, he's, that's what we're saying here. Number three, this is just to wrap the things up that we've kind of talked about already. We are not saved by our works, but we are saved to do good works. You get that? Religion says you're, you're saved by your works. Jesus teaches and demonstrates we're not saved by our works. We're saved to do good works. They're not the root of our faith. They're the fruit of our faith. They're what come out of those who are in relationship with God. And lastly, God does not need our works, our good works, but our neighbor does. All right, God doesn't need school supplies. Does God need school supplies? No. But the kid without a dad does. God doesn't need groceries. But the single mom does. God doesn't need us to run an honorable company. But your neighbor does. God doesn't need us to love our neighbor, but our neighbor needs us to love our neighbor. And so the good works that we do are not things that God needs. God can take care of himself. These are things that our neighbors need, and God has called us not only to love him, but to love our neighbor as well. And the reason we do good works, and we just don't become a Christian and sit around and wait till heaven shows up, is because God wants us to serve here, and it expresses we express the love of God to people through the works that we do. And we do that not so that God would love us, but because he already has. Not so that God would be pleased with us, but because in Christ he already is. And he frees us to love and serve people by the grace of God. So, so, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Are you in Christ? If not, I would challenge you to answer the most important question in all of the world. Am I going to trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Am I going to trust in what he has done for me and just accept the fact that he has already given to me that which I need? I just need to accept. And then I'm going to live my life in a way, live my life in a way that will allow him to work. And people will see his love through me. This morning we're going to conclude our service. I'm going to pray in just a moment. And look, There's Chris back there. I was looking for Chris. Okay, thank you. Uh, Chris and I are going to be, we're, we usually don't do, uh, very, very often do we do things where people can come forward and, and, and pray. But we like, if you'd like to come and pray about any of the things that we've talked about today or, or any other needs you may have as well that you can do so. Chris is going to be over here on this side and uh, he's our student pastor and I'm going to be over here on this side. And then uh, Nate's going to come and going to lead us in a song. There he is back there. And uh, in doing so during this time, this is just a time to respond to what God is doing. Sometimes people just need to pray. Last service I had people pray with me. Not necessarily about anything that happened here, but just some stuff that was going on in their life they needed prayer for. But some of you today may be here that you need to say yes to Jesus Christ, and we'd love to talk to you about that as well. And so let's pray, and then let's uh, sing together a song, and then respond to what, how Jesus leads us this morning. God, we thank you so much for your incredible love for us. We pray that you would allow us this morning, God, to uh, realize that it's not what we've done that matters. It's what you've done. That we need a Savior, and you provide the salvation for us, God. It's undeserved. 
It's unmerited. It's way beyond our comprehension, God. But because of what you've done for us, God, we can live life in a way that's different. We can be saved from ourselves, saved from the, 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 we have the possibility of living life against the culture of the world when it tries to drag us along in a direction that we know, we know ourselves is not right. That, that when we, that you save us, God, and, and when you do so by your grace, that you send your Holy Spirit into us to empower our lives, not just so we can go to heaven, but so we can live life every day in a new and, and more powerful way, experiencing you, your love, God, and being a witness for you no matter where we are. Thank you, God, for your incredible love this morning. Guide us this morning as we, uh, as we close the service and as we sing together this song. May we seek you, God, with all of our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.